Okay, here we go. Good evening and welcome to Talk in the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host, coming to you from the BNN Live studios in Eggleston Square. Also being simulcast tonight on our radio station, WBCA 102.9 FM. Tonight, a very special show. First up, uh, joining me from District 5 City Council, uh, two-term city councilor, and uh, we're coming up, of course, on election season. Ricardo Arroyo joins us, and we'll talk about, uh, among many things, his proposal to ban the sale of nips, uh, the small liquor bottles in the city of Boston, that and others. And then on the second half, we'll shift gears. Uh, joining me, a longtime political consultant, strategist in the city, Jay Sincotti, a partner with uh, in SinCon. Uh, the uh, political strategy group. All that and more tonight on Talk of the Neighborhood. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, we're back with Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisley, your host. Tonight, a two-part show, and in this first part, catching up with the, on the latest from uh, Boston City Hall, in particular, of course, the Boston City Council. And I'm pleased to have joining me the District 5 City Councilor. That's uh, Hyde Park, Roslindale, part of Mattapan, if yes. I remember correctly. Uh, That's Ricardo Arroyo joins I'm us. I'm really happy to be here. Nice Good to, to be see here you. With thanks, you. Thanks so much for joining us. Of course, uh, and I, I think many people know this, but uh, if they don't, of course, you're the scion of a, you know, famous uh, uh, political family in Almost Boston. I like to see dad, the yeah. Arroyo family. You know, your father, of course, was a, a Boston City Councilor, yep. uh, you know, a school committee, Boston City Councilor, uh, and, the, and then most recently the Register of Probate. And, a lot uh, of firsts in his yes, life. Yes, and, and of course, your brother was a city councilor as well, yep. and a mayoral candidate, a very yes. strong candidate, I will say. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, you got elected from <laughs> District 5, yeah. and you just got off the campaign trail from a... From, from a, a district attorney's race, yeah. That was, so that was a, a Suffolk County-wide one. Suffolk District attorney's race. So, I, I mean, what, what, what do you think it is? What, what's inspired your family to uh, 
be so active politically, to be so kind of committed to public service. Uh, I think there's a part of this that is like every immigrant story where you come to a place and it plays a crucial role in the development of your life and in your career and the ways in which uh, you're sort of embraced. And in the city of Boston, my family first came here in the 70s from Puerto Rico. Uh, they came here for an education. Um, at the time, rest in peace to Mel King, they were, there was a lot of political activism going on and mm -hmm. one, of those, one of those folks was Mel King. Uh, and a lot of uh, our political sort of history started with Mel King and the Rainbow Coalition and, and all of those sort of 1970s, 1980s, 1990s coalitions that were being built in the city. Um, but the drive for it has always been this understanding that we can't really take material things with mm -hmm. us. Uh, the reputation uh, that you leave as an individual, the impact that you have on individual lives has always mattered more in my family. Uh, so when we measure sort of accomplishment, my sister is a Boston public school teacher. Uh, she's phenomenal at that work. My mom was a teacher. Right. Um, my, my other brother works with children uh, who are um, in troubled homes, essentially, and, and, and works to mm -hmm. sort of help them navigate those processes. Um, you, people know my brother Felix, but uh, my other brother works at United for a Fair Economy working for living wages. Mm -hmm. And so what we were always taught is find a way to make a living, but make sure that whatever you're doing benefits people more than just yourself. Um, and so we took that very personally. I actually wanted to stay away from politics. Uh, that did, <laughs> you see how well that worked out? Yeah, you see how well that worked out? I went to law school, is yeah. my mistake. Yeah. Uh, and so that everybody was recruiting me for this. But what I wanted to do and what I did do was uh, public defense. I was a public defender uh, for a number of years. I really loved that work because it, it, there's something special about being able to give somebody a service essentially to them that they're not paying for directly. Right. Um, and there's a level of that with, const with constituent right. uh, sort of services that we do. Well, but they do pay for them, yeah, technically. Your so. brother moved on from the council. Your father just retired. Uh, Very you know, happy uh, Congratulations for him. to him, you know, after uh, many years. Uh, Let's cut right to the quick. What's next for you? Are you uh, so I, uh, you committed to staying in in uh, politics? And yeah. So I think that frankly, um, my I believe there's work to be done still in terms of advancing sort of equity and policy. And and the reason I left uh, public defense to do this type of work is that I realized that there were a number of individuals who were coming into contact with our courts or who were living in poverty, and many of the things that were impacting them were sort of these. Uh, systemic issues that you could only get to through policy fixes and through policy changes mm -hmm. and through politics. And so this is, what I tell people is this is the only job where someone who cares about housing, cares about education, cares about parks and recreation and cares about like our public schools, you can do all of these things on any given day. I could talk about public safety and put together a public mm -hmm. safety plan on one week and then the next week we're talking about how are we educating our children in public schools to the best of our ability and then the week after that we're talking about housing. And so there's, I can't think of any other real job where you get the ability to mm -hmm. do holistic change and impact that way. And so I'm thrilled to have this job. It's a privilege to have it. I Planning to run for re-election? Yep, signed up yesterday, yeah, yeah. so I am running I for re-election. your papers. Now, you just came through, a, a, you know, I think it's fair to say a, a rather difficult election for yeah, the DA. Hardest one and, I've ever seen. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> Has that soured you on the possibility of, uh, you know, of running funny. again when, uh, for that? I that's mean, a very real thing. So when this happened, when I ran that race, uh, I had a family member who said, you know, do you hate politics? Because this had happened and this was a very political mm -hmm. thing. And I, and I had the same mentality that I have now. You brought up my father. My father had a cardiac arrest in 2018, and it made me contemplate the fact that none of us know 
when it's our time. Right. Uh, and so I always wanted to measure, I, I started to ask myself real deep questions about measuring my impacts. Am I being the most impactful I can be at this moment in time in my life? Mm -hmm. And politics has allowed me to be very impactful in a lot of people's lives in a very specific way. Uh, and I've never regretted that. I've never shied away from that. I think there's a level of vitriol. Um, there's a level of sort of eyes wide open mm -hmm. to sort of the scrutiny that we get put under, the standards that we have maybe a little different than standards for other individuals, and you just have to sort of live with being a public person and all of the positive and negative it entails. It's not all negative, right? right. There's a lot of times where uh, people will greet me and be incredibly effusive in their praise or in their support, and that's really uh, a boost to my spirits. Um, I would say that race, more than anything else, you know, people said it was a tough, grueling race. I mean, there were, there, it was like, it's hard to, I can't think of one, right. you know, and I'm sort well, of a historian. And I want to, you know, I want to talk more about the future than about than the, the past. past. Yeah, and I, and I know you, I know you do too. But, <laughs> I, I, you know, I got to ask you about it because, of course, uh, there was lots of allegations, nothing yes. ever proven. And uh, Actually, what was proven was that it was unfounded. And right. I think there what, you go. what was that, most frustrating about that process... Did it cost you the race, so uh, that... Uh, I think undoubtedly of, it did. Yeah, I think no, undoubtedly it did. Yeah. I, I don't think... I think maybe with a little bit more time, we would have had time for that to penetrate, but we didn't get the documents until Labor Day weekend. Mm -hmm. So we weren't able to... Like, that is the worst weekend. For folks who have lives, that is the worst weekend. That's when people right. are taking vacations, yeah. they're doing what they're doing. And so to penetrate sort of the noise, because there was a whole lot of noise on that was incredibly difficult right. in that period in time. I think more time would have borne that out. I think even in the past six months, that's been proven to be true, that more time would have borne that out. I think it's un undoubtedly that cost me that right. race. Yeah, well, and, and it wasn't just that. I mean, you were, a, 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 if I recall correctly, pulled off the redistricting committee or pulled from as a chair. But I'm, I'm still very and, happy and, with the and, work that and, Councilor Braden did. Right. And there was much, uh, much ado about that, but uh, uh, you know, uh, wasn't the final map pretty much what you had it originally? Was what it was you Councillor Braden and Councillor uh, Royals' map. Yeah, yeah. 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 I it, mean, so uh, I think the thing about much ado about nothing. Uh, I think the thing that I always try to remember in this work, and I think it's important for people in a generation, like in a, in an age where, like, back in the '90s and early 2000s, you didn't know what your neighbors were thinking unless you spoke to them. Yep. And now you know what everybody's thinking all of the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think part of what I, I social always... Social media. Yeah, know? social media is yep. everywhere, and, yep. it's, and it can be very toxic yep. in the way that it operates. Back in the day, you just had to worry about like what the comment section on a newspaper article looked like. Uh, and so what I always remind myself of is what matters to me is how people who know me personally know me to be. What's my reputation with them? Do they, do they think that I'm working hard? Do they think I'm working in people's best interests? Or do they think that I'm a bad person? And so I manage to make it through these sort of uh, issues that I go through by making sure that the person who I am reflective of, I'm always aware of who I am as an individual. And that the people who are closest to me, if they're telling me something's off, then I know that to be true. Uh, but I made it through that, I think, in the most effective way I can make it through that, which was I know my truth. I know what, yeah. what was real. Chin up. Uh, chin yeah. up. Yeah. You know, I think people go through experiences. I was a public defender. I think uh, there's the saying, you can indict a ham sandwich, right? There's, this was a situation where I knew nothing had happened in my life. Nothing had come from anything because I hadn't done anything to merit that. Yeah. But I, what I found sort of telling for that race, it was a district attorney's race, is sort of how quickly we seek to judge people without the full sort of right. scope All of information. Facts, yeah. And then how quickly, when we get those that information, it's like, well, that was Tuesday's issue. Yeah. Now we're on to something <laughs> on Thursday. Uh, and so, like that, What's Trump doing today, you know? getting indicted, right? So, like that was uh, 
that was like an interesting another news cycle. Yeah, and that was weird to have like this, you know, it was the most important thing to some individuals right. for a week. And then it was not at all anymore once right. we got all the information. And so that was like a very complicated sort of thing to work through. And I, it, that did take some time. I mean, I had to work through that mentally right. with, with people that I love. I was going to say. Yeah, that was well, a very difficult. You don't seem any worse for wear here, but. Uh, because I know who I am. Right. And so it's one of those things where if you know your truth, if you know who you are, if you know, there's nothing you can, just because you say something about yeah. me yeah. doesn't make it factual. It yeah. makes it a thing you said. And so being aware of who I am, being grounded in that balance has been incredibly important. And then there's been little moments of joy where, uh, you know, the reason I love this job is because there's times where we're able to provide a service to an individual when they're used to just not like having to make it through the morass of public bureaucracy, um, which is awful for most people. And having the ability to deliver things to that individual, there's there's a part of like there's a reminder in that work that this is why we do this. That's why you put up with all this satisfaction. Other stuff. You know, I, yeah, some people would say being a district city councilor is one of the worst jobs because uh, <laughs> well, it's about potholes. It's about much more than potholes. It but, is, uh, but I think when and it, about you know, helping people with. I had a I had a conversation when I first ran for this with. So my brother and my father were both at large councilors. Right. So they had the city as a whole. And that's a lot different than it's being a, a district councilor. Animal, yes. Because what any development that's happening in your district, yep. they're not calling the at-large councilor. They're calling you. If there's a pothole in the, on the street, they're not calling their at-large councilor. They're calling you. Uh, and so you realize really quickly that all of those local issues, mm-hmm. for good or for bad, you wear them. Uh, and so it, it's, there, is a, there is a level of responsibility to that where we take it very seriously. And a lot of my job is weighing is what I'm hearing from one constituency representative of the entire constituency and then trying to measure what's the maximum benefit for these mm-hmm. decisions that we make on a yeah. day-to-day basis. I want to go back to the redistricting just just for a second. Uh, were you surprised then that it was ended up being challenged in court and uh, I, uh, you know, I think uh, we've had... Go, go figure. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, because if I recall correctly, I don't have all the details. Uh, it was about... Uh, stacking districts. Yeah, so part of the issue in this is like when you're dealing with the Voting Rights Act and when you're dealing with redistricting, there's they very clear, like by law, you have to avoid what we call cracking, which is cracking racial demographics uh, and diluting their power that way. Or packing, which is saying they could be these this racial demographic is so populous that you could have multiple districts in which they play a role, right. but instead we're gonna put all You're of them, put in, them all one. in one. Right. That's a that's those are like yeah. federal violations. Yeah. And so the this is not the first map that's been challenged. I think right. the map in nineteen eighty three was challenged. Yeah. Uh, this map was challenged. I don't know about the two thousand on how you look at it. I mean there was uh, you know, the thing that struck me is there was some some, you know, the fact that we had counselors to testify hard, on that. Some hard feelings and some harsh words that were I thought Councilor Braden, during that, uh, during that debate, debate. And uh, I think uh, this was a... Did that open up some, some wounds that uh, I certainly, can't be healed? I, I don't know that they can't be healed. I've, I've come from a place where I think almost everything can yeah, be healed, yeah, done correctly. Yeah. I think the issue is uh, there was a level of... The redistricting map that passed was in response to the fact that we had a 13,000 person population difference in District 2, which meant that District 2, which is South Boston and South End, uh, was going to have to undergo some real changes, no matter how you wrote this up. Either the South End was going to have to go in one direction or parts of South Boston were going to have to go in another direction. Uh, And then on top of that, you had a population deficit in Dorchester, 
and that meant that you were going to have to sort of swing these districts around. Somewhere or another. And gain some. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so when you get into like neighborhoods being complete, it's not that we didn't think that, for instance, Lower Dorchester was important as a, as a unified neighborhood or that South Boston was important as a unified neighborhood. It's that when you do redistricting, many neighborhoods end up sliced and have in the past. Mission yeah. Hill has not been a complete neighborhood in a very long time, I don't think if ever. Roslindale has never been, been complete. It's been forever. split forever. Yeah. Uh, Jamaica Plain has had moments where they're yeah. not entirely whole. Yeah. And so Dorchester itself is represented in multiple right. districts. Uh, Roxbury has largely been in one district for most of its time, but that's not true of most neighborhoods. No. And so I think for in cases where people have been used to having their, their sort of political identity tied to their area, yeah and they hadn't had this experience in the past, the fact that the population sort of increases dictated this was somewhat uh, jarring for them. I think there was also the way in which the redistricting committee was stripped felt very political. Uh, and then you're doing that on very short notice to a mm -hmm. body of 13 people. I think Liz Braden stepped up in a very admirable way to lead that process. And I think she got a lot of vitriol for essentially just trying to shepherd that process right. through as well and as she some could. Some of that was, you know, I think directed towards you, but. Uh, I got some of it too. Yes, yes. You, it depends yeah. on who you yeah, talk to. That's true. <laughs> uh, uh, were you surprised by that, though? I mean, you know, uh, charges I I included charges of racism, and and then when, of course, you look at the vote, it was so. If, to be really frank with you, that map. So my map, the first map I presented, yeah. like just to be very clear, uh, there were some really not in tune with factual basis uh, accusations that were made. Like for instance. Um, I had colleagues who wrote under affidavits uh, that I had stated that District 3 was too white or something to that effect. But if you look at the first map that I had presented, you could Google it, just find it. It's the Councilor Arroyo redistricting map. I actually had the population of District 3 go from 34% white to 44% white because I wanted to unify South End in one district. Mm -hmm. And that's how, and then that unified all of South Boston. There was no perfect way to do this. I think what ended up happening was uh, folks lashed out at what the ultimate result was. And I'm not sure there was any result that we were gonna right. get. Or misinterpreted it, you know? Uh, it felt more political yeah, than misinterpretation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think- I'm being a little too yeah, kind there. Yeah, I think that's more grace. Yeah. Uh, I think there was an understanding that, you know, how do I poke on this? And I'm looking for someone to blame for this. And the reality is, we had right. 13,000 right. people. So when I go back to my district, somebody's got to be a fault. I can Somebody say did this. That was that was him, yeah. right? And I think at the end of the day, that passed nine to four. Uh -huh. It's a legislative body of 13. Nine of my council colleagues looked uh -huh. at this map and said, "This is the best we can do." And I think that that shouldn't be lost in this either. Uh -huh. I think there was a number of sort of folks who, for political reasons or for personal reasons, took a, took offense with uh -huh. what that final map was. But I don't think there was a map we could have given them that they wouldn't well, have. and and one of those who took, or seemingly took the most offense, was uh, Councillor Baker from District Three. Yeah, were you surprised? Board. He just announced he's not running for re-election after all of that. I was a little surprised that he announced that he wasn't running for re-election. Um, I think you know it's a deeply personal thing when you're running. Uh, you do put yourself out there. I think people think that this is like just a decision you make and then you're just like, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Uh, but there's a lot of people involved in our in our running for office. My partner Jennifer is someone who I constantly am like, are we still, are you good with this? Can you live with this? Can you live with me? Uh, uh, a particularly difficult race. You know, yeah. you want to check in with the people that you love because their opinion yeah. matters most. I believe him when he says that it was a difficult decision and that he had to talk to uh, his family and that he did all of those mm -hmm. things. I was, I was somewhat surprised.
Yeah. I, I think there had been some conversation early in the year, early in the tenure or term that he maybe wouldn't mm -hmm. run again. And then that seemed to disappear. So it was a little surprising. Yeah, so it came back. Well, you know, how would you say the councils performed? I mean, uh, you know, some would say, now I'm, I'm playing a little devil's advocate here, that, uh, you know, the, the council has gone, uh, I think the phrase I heard was a loony left uh, or something to, <laughs> words to that effect, that, uh, uh, you know, something for a body that used to be pretty conservative, that a lot of people thought was too conservative, some people say now it's, to progressive, is there any such thing as that? I think that's an interesting thing. When people yeah. talk about divisiveness on the city council, right? Mm -hmm. I, I remember that they're like there were councilors who had fistfights on the council no, floor, right? No. Like that, that that this Almost. is like a you know <laughs> like this the the history of the council is one of the city, and the city has never been completely unified. And so, if you have a body that is reflective of different communities and parts of the city, you're going to see some some friction from time mm -hmm. to time. I think the reality is we get a rap in the press because sort of that there were things done in redistricting for instance Liz Braden was personally attacked there were things that have happened that are easier to write about mm -hmm. and sort of see and say I know what that is that's friction but when you see the the sort of things that we get past the things we get done we got rent stabilization done in a month in terms of getting that out mm -hmm. of that uh, office we've done this municipal stretch code we have as I'm the gov chair of government ops we're going to continue to get big projects done throughout the year and, and the vast majority of the body is working in lockstep. Mm -hmm. I think when you look at the body as a whole, I'm proud of the work we do, I think that there's more access now to those disagreements mm -hmm. than there used to be. Is there uh, too much in the way of uh, identity politics uh, now? You know, people I think we used uh, to hear this back in the day yeah, when, back and, when and my I, dad again, was first you know, running. I'm, I'm like, uh, you know, I just think a lot of this yeah, stuff is yeah. like, it's not new, right? Yeah. So like when Mike Ross used to be the president of the city council, I remember when they used to have the Young Turks, right? Mm -hmm. That was, yep. oh, and yeah. so, and then that was like a thing, right? And so they, there's always been labels for what has happened in every decade yeah. that the city council has existed. I'm sure if we go back to antiquity of like the 1800s when they first put this thing together, <laughs> I'm sure we're going to find that there's similar issues. Uh, I just think that it's, so there's a couple things. We have social media now. People are more accessible. Right. Um, it's easier to see when there are friction well, points. Uh, and it's, you know, I think it's, it's fair to say, it's definitely fair to say that the body is more representative of, it's never of the way been the, more uh, representative city, of the, the city, the way the city yeah, it's looks. Never, and mean, if you look at the demographics of the city, yeah. it's never been more representative. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the most women, I believe, that we've ever right. had on right. the council. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people of color. The know, more, uh, most people uh, of color. Until, uh, Lydia left, you know, it was a majority of the council were people of color. It's a majority minority. City. And even Gabriela Coletta, who replaced Lydia Edwards, his grandmother is fully Mexican. Yeah. So, like, there's a level of of cultural and, and perspective that mm -hmm. people are coming with from the city. I think you have a number of folks who are actually from the city, right? Rufsi grew up in Mattapan. Right. I grew up in Hyde Park. Yeah. Uh, and Brian Worrell grew up here in Dorchester. So there's, like, a level of... Uh, life experiences within the city of Boston right. that are reflected on that council. I'm very happy that I have the colleagues I have. I think we work in lockstep more often than we don't, frankly. Uh, but I think that the times that we don't is more entertaining yeah. for press and for sort of coverage. And our, you know, we've got just a few minutes left. I, I you know, and of course, so we want. Yeah, we could do this. What, as what many about times what we about want. that? Uh, I got to ask you about uh, what you're working on now. The that, Nips band. That Nip band. So know, that's been Nips, interesting. Whatever. So, uh, so uh, the, the is there anybody opposed to that? I mean, I, yes, I, there oddly enough is. This yeah. is what I mean about like you can't yeah. get everything. Yeah. So basically, 
Uh, liquor stores are very opposed, yeah. <laughs> as you would imagine. Uh, but the reality is there's a couple things that I ran for Suffolk County District Attorney. And in 2021, my neighborhood in High Park, Keep High Park Beautiful, had collected 10,000 of these miniature single oh, bottles. Yeah. And, and this is a group of like 12 people. I see them all over. Yeah, they, they're everywhere. Yeah. And they did this in like two months. Uh, and so I already knew that there was an environmental impact on these. When I was running for district attorney, I actually uh, was speaking to former council president of Chelsea, Roy Avagineta, and we were talking about opiate addiction and sort of the impact of opiate addiction. And he said, you know, in, in Chelsea, we had an issue with alcohol. And I, it, I think you should look into that. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, we had a hearing where we were trying to figure out how often Narcan, which is what you use when someone is uh, right. overdosing on opiates to revive them, how many times we had deployed that, and it was 230. But the police officer who gave us that information said actually our alcohol-related uh, emergencies Overdose was four so times that. Wow. So it was 1,000. Yep. So then they banned miniature sales, and that number halved itself wow. in a year. Last year, that number was around 220. Wow. The reason why that's, which is like emergency-related ambulance or firefighter right. or bo yeah. uh, police officer-related emergency responses to alcohol. In the city of Boston, that number last year was close to 8,000 people. Wow, that's Medical emergency-related to alcohol. I don't, think, I don't alcohol. think people realize it. No. Well, it's, and I, I, know, I know several people that you know, are working so, in substance abuse and yeah, uh, I think the a, average person, the program or whatever. I think the average person doesn't realize the level of... Uh, issues we have with alcohol consumption yep. in, in a day-to-day -day basis, more normalized. Yep. Uh, but in this particular case, there was something really poignant yep. that he said, which is he said, you know, people are really upset when they see syringes on the floor because they recognize that that's indicative of another problem. Right. But nobody looks at the dozens and dozens right. and dozens yep. of miniatures and singles yep. that they see on a day-to-day -day yep. basis on their commutes and says that's indicative of another problem. You got the votes to pass it? I do. Uh, and what about the mayor? What's she saying? So I, right now I'm working with the administration because this is technically an interesting piece of legislation where doesn't require home rule. Doesn't require a home rule. Doesn't require an ordinance. Yeah, yeah. The licensing board can do this as a regulation oh. and for public safety and for public good. So same so way we told regulate. She could take credit for it if she. Uh, she would have to take credit for it. it. Would be entirely her. It would be. <laughs> it was that in her direction. Uh, so whether it happens or not is really yeah. indicative of whether yeah. or not Mayor Michelle yeah. Wu essentially signs yeah. on to this, this concept. But I think she's receptive to it. We're, we're having conversations yeah. about how this would look. And just for folks who are like, well, this is sort of out of left field, what about the businesses? We already have close to 100 liquor stores and package stores in Boston that can't sell singles or miniatures. They already can't because we've already determined that they have these negative impacts on our, right. our neighborhoods. What I am trying to do is make that rule universal so that we are no longer dealing in a situation where some liquor stores are right. getting an economic right. advantage and where we're having this weird logic where a liquor store on that street selling singles and miniatures is bad for the neighborhood, but a liquor store on that street doing it somehow isn't. Right. That doesn't make any sense. It's uneven, not an equal playing field, I think that's fair to say. Uh, we've got just a minute or two left. You also wanted a uh, elected school committee. How's that going? Uh, any, uh, it's any, not right now, huh? I guess. Is, I guess yeah. that we passed that. That was another thing right. that we got yeah. passed. Right. Uh, you know, that was a promise to voters. They had voted. Uh, enthusiastically for an elected school committee. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that does require a home rule petition. Right. And the only way that, so that's what we sent to the mayor. Uh, but the only way a home rule petition gets to mm -hmm. the state house is if the mayor signs it uh, and she declined to sign it. Uh, and so. Were you surprised by that? Somewhat. I mean, she's touted herself as a, you know, a real Somewhat. She'd been voice. very public about yeah. supporting uh, a hybrid model. Uh -huh. 
uh, we were open to a conversation on a hybrid model. Uh, but ultimately, when she did reject it, she said now wasn't the time for any change to the body. And so I think there's a level of surprise sort of yeah. to what that timeline might look like. Uh, and I have real personal history with the school committee. Obviously, my father ran for it when it was yes. an elected body. Yeah. He yeah. lost. He yeah. actually did not win. That's right. But then he yeah. was appointed to it uh, on the by Ray Flynn. By Ray Flynn. Uh, and so he was also the first council, uh, the first school committee president at one point, and that was most of my upbringing, was hanging out at the school committee chambers and watching how that all worked. Uh, I have a tremendous respect for our appointed members of the school committee because they do a lot of like thankless work and thankless hours of work. But I also know that as a body, they don't have the independence that they should have. So you're not giving up on that? No, that's, I, I firmly believe that our yeah. schools would benefit from an elected school committee, just like every other municipality yeah. in the state of Massachusetts. We're the only one who don't, doesn't have one. And will you come back and talk about that? Because I'm happy that, to talk about that. I love talking about school stuff. And, uh, well, that's like my, my family's passion yeah, I schools. I know, I know. So, yeah, uh, no, I'm, I'm down. Unfortunately, I'm, we're, we're running out of time. If you want me back next month, I'll be back <laughs> next month. I appreciate Ricardo you having me on. District 5. Uh, Boston City Councilor and uh, uh, running for re-election. Yes, running uh, for re-election. Hope to earn your support. I think I do, but I yeah. don't know. Yeah, well, uh, right. the, the, we can't pull paperwork until May second. Technically, you sign a statement that you're running, but you can't get the signature collection until okay. May second. So I'll sure. know when all of that yeah, sort of we'll sorts itself out. Well. I might have more than one. I don't yeah, know yet. We'll find knows? out. That's right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks for coming in. Thank and, you. And talking about this. Appreciate thanks, you having thanks, me. On. Nice having you here. When we come back with more of Talk to the Neighborhoods, well, we'll change gears, still all politics as is our usual want, uh, but a little different vein. Joining us, uh, political strategist uh, Jason Cotty joins us and uh, stay tuned, we'll be right back. These small bottles of alcohol, also known as singles or nips, may be taken off shelves of liquor stores across Boston. Owner of Huntington Wine and Spirits, Stephen Rubin, says that they're a popular item. A lot of places don't carry them, so tourism, they're big for tourism. That's why our selection is the way it is. The miniature bottle, the 50 mLs, was created for tastings. Basically, before you buy a $60 bottle of something, this is, this is really a tasting unit. City Councilor Ricardo Arroyo says that banning bottles under 100 milliliters would benefit those with substance abuse issues and would help keep the city clean. Like the problem with nips or singles is that essentially their their primary use is concealment. Most people aren't trying to carry these around to to properly dispose of them uh, or bring them back, and that is why they're all over the place in parks on the sides of streets. He says that in his neighborhood, a group picked up ten thousand miniature bottles in just two months. But Boston resident Benjamin Zach is skeptical that banning these bottles will solve either problem. So, yeah, it's, you know, small packaging increases litter, it's bad for the environment, yada, yada, yada. But the same thing with straws and cups and all these other things. You know, and as far as the argument about it, uh, you know, preventing people from holding, having concealed alcohol, uh, it really doesn't. Stephen Rubin thinks that there are better solutions than a ban. The key to the answer and the solution to this is recycling. If there's a nickel deposit on a miniature, do you realize how many people outside are going to pick up? Instead of cans, they're going to pick up nip bottles. A representative from the Massachusetts Package Stores Association said that banning nips could also lead to a black market for mini liquor bottles. He compared it to an underground trade of flavored e-cigarettes. The Boston Licensing Board has already stopped allowing new liquor stores to sell these bottles. City Councilor Arroyo is holding a hearing at the end of April with officials from Newton and Chelsea to keep nips like these off streets and shelves. For BNN, I'm Alex Dowd.
do an aerospace engineer, cancer immunologist, and bat scientist all have in common? We all have cool jobs in STEM fields. Whether it's building robots or learning to code, girls everywhere are finding their passion for science, technology, engineering, and math through positive role models and mentors. So dare to dive in, get connected, and explore. You never know what your future may hold. Learn more about these and even more cool jobs at SheCanSTEM.com. All right, we're back with more of Talk of the Neighborhoods. I'm Joe Heisler, your host uh, tonight, also being simulcast on our uh, sister radio station, WBCA 102.9 FM. And I'm pleased to have joining me now on set uh, an old friend, uh, a real uh, political pro, so to speak, as a political strategist. And do you do polling too? I, I do, yeah. I, I, do, I, I do everything. The for, numbers for guy that I remember. Um, his group, uh, his, uh, he's a partner in the group, uh, CINCOM group, and it's uh, again political consulting group uh, headquartered out of Brighton. And uh, well, welcome. Nice to have you here. Thank you very much. We're heading into another election season, and uh, you know, I, you have uh, over the years. How many? How many candidates you think you've? you've uh, yeah. I've just rough estimate. I, I, mean, like I honestly scores, I, I, right? Yeah, I probably do uh, like six to ten candidates every year, right. and I've been doing it for twenty five years, which That's makes right. me feel so really. I, old. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah. So here's my question to start, and I got um, mm -hmm. consequences. So you know. What's the advice you give to all candidates that are thinking about running that have never run before? I mean, you know, kind of you want to open their eyes to the reality of this because it's not an easy thing to do and it's, it's a tough business in many ways, but uh, it's certainly not easy to ask yourself to have people judge you. Yeah. Some people aren't prepared for that, are they? No, I mean, a lot of times when I sit down to talk with folks who are thinking about running, um, you know, my first time meeting with them, and, and, and it's like an interview, right? They want to interview me to see whether or not they want me to work with them, and I want to interview them to see whether or not I think they're worth working for. Um, you know, I'll spend the first 20 minutes to an hour trying to talk them out of running. You know, it's, it, I will throw everything I can to get them right. to not run. Um, because if I can talk you out of running in 25 minutes, you shouldn't be doing you that. There's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, you know, I think that's the one thing that I want folks to realize is that campaigning is a lot of work. Um, I find it to be and very different than governing. If, yeah, no, if you're very successful. different. I don't, I don't govern. Yeah. I, I help them get into office, and then once they're there, they can do whatever they want, and 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 um, hopefully, you know, they do great things. Uh, and I try to work with people that I believe in, right? That I think want sure. to do, you know, the right thing by the world. Uh, but no, governing. I, I forget who said it. I got to give credit to Steve Brewer. He was a state senator from Gardner. He didn't come up with it, but he introduced me to this to the to the quote that. Um, we campaign in poetry and we govern in prose, right? And I think that's really yeah. very, very yes. uh, telling. You know, I think that, that you know, we, when we campaign, there's a lot of, of um, sort of imagery, a lot of inspiration, a lot there's of aspiration. Like yeah. There's what I can do. And then yeah. when you get into it, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different story. Well, uh, you know, and I'm asking about that because, of course, you know, uh, on the national stage, it's, it's become very divisive and very bitter and, and I think people are really kind of sick of it. But you know, I'm, I'm more interested in local politics here, as you might imagine, and 
And I'm wondering what you think. Has local politics kind of lost its bite, so to speak? Uh, I, I'm thinking, and, and let me just put this in, you know, how I'm looking at it, which is uh, uh, there's, there's actually some seats that are open that there's only one candidate. And, you know, and, and uh, or, uh, I mean, think about uh, uh, Maura Healy's uh, campaign for governor. I mean, she basically walked into it, in my opinion. I mean, she, uh, all of her opponents in the primary, uh, serious opponents, dropped out. Uh, she got to the general against a, you know, a mega Republican type. Mm -hmm. No chance of getting elected here in, in Mass. Yeah. Uh, uh, but do I mean, like, well, uh, are people, uh, because of what's happened on the national stage, has it kind of soured people on the idea of public service or about running for office or about oh, I, putting I, themselves in that kind of position? I think it definitely has. I think that, that the level of scrutiny that candidates get definitely does turn people off from running because why would they want to put themselves out yeah. for that? I was just talking about Ricardo Arroyo. I yeah. mean, he had uh, that race mm -hmm. for Suffolk DA. That was, you know, nasty, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, somebody who looks at that race says, why would I want to put myself in that right. position? Yeah. Why would I want yeah. to, to sort of have that kind of exposure for me, for my family, right. for, for my friends? Um, so I, I certainly get that. Um, you know, I, I feel that, that there's really two different issues that you were talking about when you're talking about local politics and then you talk about sort of like right. the more Healy race. Right. Um, the more Healy race, you know, too often we, we take a short view with respect to politics. Huh? So you look at uh, Maura Healy when she ran for governor right. and you just look at the six months of her running for governor and you say, well, she didn't have a lot of opposition. You don't look at the eight years that preceded that where she was an attorney general and her first campaign when she ran against Warren Coleman, right? Right, a very tough um, campaign. You know, all of that builds. It, none of this happens in a vacuum. So, so when uh, Maura Healey decided to run for governor, she brought with her all of the work that she had done as AG, all of the support that she had garnered as AG. Um, a track record of you know what kind of elected official right. she would be. I was actually talking to a, to a friend about um, the governor and sort of what kind of governor she'd be, and I said, look at what she did as attorney general, right? Like a lot of people say, well, we're not sure what kind of governor she's going to be. Is she going to be, you know, always going to the extreme left, or or is she going to be, you know, what 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 kind of Democrat is she? And I said, well. You know, as Attorney General, she took on the Sacklers, right? She took on the gun industry. She right. took on President Trump. She was not just tilting at every progressive windmill that existed. She was, you know, really focusing on yeah. meaningful reforms, meaningful Picked her spot. That, yeah, and where she could have an impact and, you know, mm -hmm. make a difference in the lives of people. Um, so when she decided to run for governor, that all came along with her. And that's, I think, part of the reason why she found herself in the position that she was in. Are there other people that could have given her a very credible rice? Yeah, if Marty Walsh decided to come yeah. up for governor, yeah. that would have been a completely different scenario. Right. Well, why didn't? Right. Or if Charlie Baker yeah. decided to run for another term. You know, why didn't those things happen? Yeah. Well, I think they didn't happen in part because of all of the work that she had done to get her into that mm -hmm. position. It built up a lot of support. Um, when you talk about local politics and the number of people that, you know, number of races that are, are, are uncontested. Well, and, so, and some, just put that in context, and, and I was just, just asking uh, Ricardo Arroyo about this, that. Uh, you know, some people say that Boston policy has gone, you know, loony left, has gone too, 
too progressive, if yeah. that's even possible. I'm not sure, but uh, whatever that means. But uh, you know, how how has it changed in your mind? I mean, is, is this a kind of a uh, you know a, a kind of temporary thing that that the pendulum's going to swing back uh, I, I two think, four years from now? I mean, Dapper O'Neill is never coming back. And, no, I, I think that's yeah. a um, <laughs> it, it's a very very uh, effective metaphor to think of this pendulum swing of ideology. Um, I think it might be a little bit overly reductive. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I you know I, I look at Councillor Baker, and you know, Councillor Baker decided sure. that he was not going to seek re-election. Yeah. Um, you know, he was a good councillor for his district. Yeah. You know, what we have we are great people on who so, are yeah. voices for yeah. the areas in which they represent. Yeah. Um, you know, does that mean that all of them are my cup of tea? No. Right. I have a city councillor in Brighton, and and she represents our district. I have a state rep in Brighton. He represents my district. Yeah. Um, and I think that the elected officials... Who do you have, Honan or Moran? I got Mike Moran, oh. um, <laughs> the, the right honorable Michael J. Moran. Um, the majority leader, <laughs> exactly. yes. No, I, but, but we are very, very lucky yeah, no, in, no. In, in our neighborhood to be represented by people who are very much in touch with our district. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity as a, as a professional campaigner of going around the state and, and working with folks that aren't in line with me for my personal mm -hmm. politics, but they are good for their communities, they are good for their districts. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of understanding that, I think, is a really important thing. That's where you're going to see this notion of a pendulum shift mm -hmm. kind of fall apart. Um, because, you know, you, you get outside of Boston, you're going to find people that have sort of a, a, a broader view of sort of what political priorities mm -hmm. should be. Um, you know. And what we will find is that the electorate is constantly evolving. It's constantly trying yeah. to figure out what does it want. Um, well, what's happening in Boston, in your, your uh, opinion? How has it evolved? I, I mean, I think it's evolved in and, that. And that's a, you know, yeah, a I mean, purposely broad uh, question. But, you know, I, you know, I think people are finding their voice and they're finding the, a power in their voice. Uh -huh. And I think that's necessarily a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, when I when you say people, you're talking about voters. Voters, I yeah. think I think yeah. segments of the yeah. electorate, yeah. and I think you know, particularly people who have felt disenfranchised, people yeah. who have not felt like they're yeah. part of the political process, are finding their voice and they're finding yeah. their power, and that's 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 a good thing. Um, I worked with Mike Capuano when he ran for Congress, and uh, Ayanna Presley ran against him, and Ayanna Presley won, and that was an incredible race. That was a very good race, um, and you never want to lose, but if you're gonna lose. Man, what a great way to lose! Right. When, you put when, it all on the table. And when Congresswoman Presley, you know, won that race, like fifty to sixty thousand people came out and voted. That honestly had no business voting. And and what I mean by that is they didn't exhibit any sort of past history of voting yeah. to suggest that they would participate right. in this. So you you saw people get engaged. You right. saw this this great outpouring of of people taking action and the results that it could have. Right. Um, so when we see what's going on now in, in the city of Boston, I think that is just the, the, the natural next step of people finding their voice, people saying, you know what, I want to be represented. And we will see if the folks that are getting elected are going to stay elected. Are they going to you know, continue to, 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 to hold their but positions? But is there too much emphasis on identity politics, in your opinion? Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, five of the six constitutional officers that were elected were women. Uh, uh, uh is gay. Uh, there is, uh, you know, on you know, Boston City Council, you talked about the voters that turned yeah. out. I, I think a lot of them were people of, that voted for Ayanna Presley were people of color. 
Well, that, I mean, that probably, but that's a district that is yeah. very much yes, designed was, was for that. Was drawn that way. I, yes. I think identity politics. Identity or is politics that overused too? Can, no, I mean it's it, it can be it can be seen as overly divisive, mm -hmm. and it can be overused in certain mm -hmm. instances. Um, women, gender as right. an identity politic. Yep. Uh, women don't vote for women. Okay. They should. Um, and, and you know, as something to rely upon for identity politics, if you're relying on women to vote for women, you're not going to win the race. Um, I tell every female candidate I work with that more women should vote just based on gender because there are plenty of guys who are voting against women for that reason. Um, but you know, to rely upon it, not like um, ethnicity or you know, or race or any of those other features. Those tend to have stronger identity right. politic pulls. But when you look at Congresswoman. Presley and, and her victory, she didn't just win because of the black vote. That certainly helped. Yeah. You know, what I think we saw with her, her election was honestly a, a district-wide itch for a change. Right. Um, and then a, a significant um, performance right. by younger voters. And, and by younger voters, I'm not talking about college-age kids, but you know, the young yeah. professionals, 25 And, and an 30. inspirational candidate. Yeah, I, mean, no, I, I, I think, uh, and don't get me wrong, I, you know, she uh, was a you know, top vote getter for the at-large Boston City Council, but uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody kind of saw coming. No, not the way uh, that, I, it, that it came through. Yeah. And it was the right time, it was the right candidate. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, really, the, these things all came together for, for Congresswoman Presley, um, and she did a great job, and I think yeah. she's done a great job as a Congresswoman. I, I'd also say that you know, Mayor Wu is yeah. sort of another incarnation yeah. of this. Um, you know, she is not, I think, what most people would, you know, have in mind for the mayor of the city of right. Boston. Um, but she is definitely spoken for, or, or she represents, a, a need within the city that needed right. to be filled. That, right. that, you know, people were looking for something. And, and you know, I, I think that, you know, Mayor Wu has been one of the most um, impressive elected officials that yeah. I've had the pleasure to, yeah. to, to work with yeah. and to see. Um, because she does tackle big ideas, and she also handles small yeah. things, right? And I, I think there's that she, kind of. She's incredibly bright. Yeah. Well, well, you know, and you, there's you, no doubt about it. You know, and some, and I don't mean to cut you no. off there, because uh, continue that. Some people say, well, she's uh, has a very aggressive agenda, progressive agenda. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair to say, but she's uh, out there on a, a bit of a political limb, because if things don't go her way. Yeah, who knows? Comes back, and I'm thinking of uh, uh, the Chicago Mary, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Mm -hmm. About one term, uh, she got in a you know got bounced, and, yeah. and she's still in office. Don't get me wrong, but but you know she didn't finish in the top two. Like you know, no, she's not going to be mayor going forward. Yeah, uh, is there a danger for uh, Mayor Wu? I, I mean, I that? think any politician who takes a position. Yeah has a risk, yeah. right? The risk is yeah. that it's not going to come I mean, forward. I like it when but people I, are willing to risk yeah. uh, some political capital. She's got a lot of goodwill. Stand up for what you believe in that's and, right. and try to get it done, yeah. you know? Um, and, and that's what I, I what, that's what I'm impressed with with Mayor Wu. And, and you were talking about sort of the, yeah. the, the council in Boston politics. You know, I, I, I personally think that constituent service, sort of where the rubber meets the road, is critically important in municipal Right. I, I want city councilors to work to make the city a better place, but I want also to make sure that our neighborhoods are cared for, that you know, they're expanding opportunities in you know, the parks and in the schools and in the mm -hmm. libraries, and you know, picking up trash and cleaning potholes. Right? Yeah. Just really where the rubber meets the roads are. 
I, it I, counts I, for something. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that the council does tend to um, aim for a higher altitude with some of the things that they want to talk about. And that's not to say that that's not important, but at the cost of the small things, and that's where I think Mayor Wu does a really good job, in that she's able to hit the small things and the tall things. Okay, uh, we got to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more of Jason Cotty. Match sticks, match box, matching tie to matching socks. You don't know why, but you're really special. To match point, match game, you and I are not the same, but I can tell that you're really special. To there is something I can give to make you laugh, to help you live. Perfect match, and you're really special to me. We're the perfect match, and you're really special to me. When I was your age, I was just like you, fascinated by stars. <sighs> but now, I get to search for life in the universe. And who knows, maybe life... Yeah. Okay, we're back with uh, more talking to the neighbors. I'm sorry. Uh, joining me again is uh, Jason Cotty, uh, partner with uh, uh, SINCON, a political consulting group. We've got just a couple minutes left. And Jason, I want to ask you this. What are, what are the things that, because uh, yeah, you do polling too, and you're a numbers guy, and mm -hmm. that's why I always think of you. I'm sorry. I, I know you, you're much uh, a bigger thinker than that, but. Uh, that a lot of people don't realize about uh, elections and about getting elected. Like, what's the thing that they don't realize? Yes. I, honestly, I just mean, the, the, the things that people, uh, you know, maybe don't understand or at least understand about uh, getting elected to an office. I mean, I, I think that, that the biggest thing folks don't understand about getting elected to office is the, just the amount of, of mundane, difficult, monotonous work that goes into running for office. Uh -huh. You know, when you're making keeping track of yeah, us. making phone calls, knocking on doors, right. just long hours um, of very, very yeah. repetitive stuff. You know, candidates having to basically repeat the same statement. Yeah. You know, if a candidate goes out and knocks on doors, and they're going to go knock on say a hundred doors, if they're lucky enough to talk to 25, 30 people, they're going to say the exact same thing 30 times because every person they talk to is is it's new to them. Right. Um, you know, I think that. I have a bigger challenge, not with first-time candidates getting in, but with elected officials who are in office running for re-election. I think there's more you of a challenge. they don't have to do it anymore? Yeah, they look at the term elected official, and they focus on the second half of that, official. And they want to discount the first half elected. And I, I you know, have, keep having to try to remind them, you don't get to be an official unless you are elected. They are co-equal parts of, of your okay. job. Now, uh, polling. Uh, what, what's the most surprising thing that, that you found that uh, in the polling that you've done that you know, perhaps people wouldn't think of or don't realize? Um, and that's, uh, I'm sorry. So, that's okay, like I am a numbers guy. I, that's why I have a computer though, because I don't remember anything. I'd say, what's the, what's the thing that I'm, I'm constantly uh, interested by when I look in, in polling yeah. stuff? It is a gender difference between men and women. Men tend to be way more eager to stake out a position whether yes or no, like right. men tend to have fewer undecideds right. and women tend to have more undecideds. Um, that's not to say that, that women are less decisive as men, it's just to say that men are way more willing to say I'm this or I'm that, right. which is just weird, it's, it's neat to more see. More dogmatic almost, you know? I yeah, I, mean. I think it's, I, maybe it could be, you know, 
men will appear to be weak if they don't have a position. But, but it, I, it's I just think, you know, here's the problem. <laughs> the other thing, the other thing that I think is is interesting is, um, uh, you know, the, frankly, the number of questions that you ask people to have an opinion on when they have no business having an opinion on it, right. and that's not to you know denigrate or to to, to dismiss the feelings of, of the voters of the electorate, but. You know, if, if you were to say something along the lines of, we've got a $56 billion budget in the state of Massachusetts, is that too high or too little? You'd ask that question to a bunch of folks, right. they will have an answer, but that answer's not based on anything. No, right. Like the best answer is, I don't know, because yeah. they don't. Right. Right. Because the, the, you'd have to be an, an expert. In exactly. So I, All right, we've got just a, a minute or two left. Uh, biggest challenge facing uh, Mayor Wu. Biggest challenge facing Mayor Wu. Um, Standing strong with what she's doing, like honestly, that's that's sort of what I see. I think she's going to have a lot of people. She's that getting pushback. She's yeah. going to get pushback you know, on the rent control stuff, on the changes yeah. that she wants to make with development. Um, change is scary, and I think that's why a lot of people feel that way. Uh -huh. um, I'm not saying that her direction is the best thing in the world. I I, I don't know, yeah. um, but I, I think that's that's the biggest headwind that she's going to be facing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think in certain quarters she's already seeing some backlash for lack of a better term but uh, and uh, like you said when you take a strong position yeah it generates uh, strong opinions yeah uh, but I think what's gonna what we'll see from that is is depending on how she weathers these challenges yeah. and what the results are um, you know when she ran for office she ran on changing development right. in the city yeah. she ran on rent control she ran on making the MBTA free those are right. big things right. but they're also tangible things yeah. and she has set herself up Tough to accomplish. But if she accomplishes one of them, or if she yeah. accomplishes two of them, man, she, that's a great place that's to be for re-election. Right. Uh, and Mayor, uh, Mayor uh, Governor Healy, her biggest challenge? Um, just like not messing up. Like, <laughs> like she, 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 she has been given a good thing. She's got a good team yeah. around her. Yeah. Um, I'm very impressed with how she's sort of putting things forward. Um, I, you know, I think that, that the progressive left is going to start hitting her because they're not because she's not going to be right. everything they want her right. to be. Because they thought she was going to be this yeah. um, progressive. I mean, like, like personally, um, you know, you look at the, the the budget and the tax plan that she put forward. Um, you know, it's not necessarily the most progressive thing in the world. I don't understand why a short-term capital gains tax cut right. is a good idea. But uh, Jason Sicotti uh, from Brighton, uh, the partner for, with the uh, Syncon Group, uh, political expert. Thanks for coming. We come back again. I would love to. Thank you very uh, much. I really enjoyed it. Uh, you're watching Talk in the Neighborhood here on the Boston Neighborhood Network. We're here tonight and every Thursday night at the same time. Uh, we'll be back next week. Until then, for the entire staff and crew here at BNN, I'm Joe Heisler, host. Thank you for watching. Have a pleasant evening. Good night.